You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Greg, I've got a movie for you. I want to pit Sylvester Stallone versus Wesley Snipes in the future. Oh, that sounds awesome. I can't wait to see those two big beefy boys go at it in the future. What kind of future things are they doing? Well, it's only like five minutes in the future, and society has radically changed so that it's peaceful and serene. (laughs) Okay, I have some notes. Welcome everyone to I Have Some Notes, the movie podcast obsessed with the past because we are trapped in this future. We're sure you can relate. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And today we are watching Demolition Man. It's a movie that happened. It is, it is, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Stallone, Snipes, Sandra Bullock, Nigel Hawthorne. Directed by a guy named Marco, who I had never heard of and didn't direct anything later until apparently a, like, rom-com with... Yeah, I was looking over his his creds, and, and boy, are they sparse. Yeah. <laughs> like, I no, think... Really, like... really, <laughs> Stallone and Snipes and, and uh, a young Sandra Bullock are the... the, the yeah, the like, usually, if, you, if you've only directed a couple of movies, you, you at least have a bunch of producer credits, but he seems to have fallen off the map. I guess when you've perfected filmmaking on one film, why yeah. <laughs> why go forward and do anything yeah, really. else? <laughs> Time to retire. <laughs> was uh, was this any of your uh, f- first experience with Demolition Man, 10th experience? How, oh, how, goodness, how, no. How, oh, no. As, as a child of the 90s, I, I saw <laughs> this many, 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 many times on TV. Oh, yeah. Uh, I uh, don't I, believe I, I saw ahead. it in theaters, but I must have seen it on... Uh, on a rental shortly after it was in theaters. Uh, for all intents and purposes, this was my first time watching it. Uh, I had also seen it in bits and pieces on TV, but never like start to finish. It was always just like, oh yeah, that movie's on. What, what part are we in? Okay, that something's happening. Why is Rob Schneider here? Sure, okay. Uh, and then, but yeah, from, from start to finish, it, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Uh, I liked it quite a bit, but I, I will, I think it hits different in 2021 uh, if it's your, if you're coming into it mostly raw. <laughs> yeah, I would I would agree. There were a lot of moments in this where I was like, hmm, that's an interesting portrayal of police. <laughs> and germs. The germ thing was a big one. Uh, the fact that they don't shake hands and they don't uh, sex each other. It, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, uh, that's the future I can get down on. Great candy choice. <laughs> Greg at <laughs> one point mentioned, man, this future cars technology is currently within the, not even just within the realm of possibility. It's like reality. And I was like, dude, they're basically driving my car. <laughs> yeah. They nailed a bunch of stuff. The guy's walking around with like an iPad in a dollar store silver frame. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. just a big, big gross silver frame. Cause they couldn't possibly imagine things without edges, but like otherwise nailed it. Yeah. Big swing and a miss with Taco Bell though. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, we're we're still a few years away from the the future that that uh, demolition man foretold. So, yeah. so who knows? Maybe maybe Taco Bell will yet win the 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 what, what was it? The franchise wars. The yeah. Franchise fun wars, fact: yeah. Uh, for some reason, in the European cut of the movie, uh, they changed that to Pizza Hut. 
Yes, uh, not one, but two of our listeners uh, in the comments will read later uh, commented that as well. That's uh, 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 everyone's favorite trivia fact that I, yeah. Um, I mean, it's actually someone offered an insight uh, down the line that I'm quite excited for. But we'll get to go. that in the listener comments. Though off the top, I would like to say thank you for commenting, listeners. We do yeah. appreciate it. As action movies go, this one's, I mean, not bad. It's got some decent action beats in it. It's got a paper-thin story that you can't think about for more than five minutes without it just completely falling apart. But it's got some fun action beats. Yeah, it's, uh, they, <laughs> it's, did anyone feel like the action was uh, super slow? <laughs> That's what it felt like to me. It felt like a 90s action movie. I think yeah. maybe we're a little spoiled with the faster and frenetic pace of like uh of of a more modern action film. This one yeah. is is a very uh like I don't want to use the word plotting, but it's a very like methodical, hard-hitting, slow sort of action that was popularized by the big muscly uh beefcake action films of the late 80s and early 90s. I think also some of it got cut up for the uh um just like to make it less violent even though it's still rated R. Um uh, mostly for language. Most of your language, they did. They did take out some of the violence. Like apparently, the scene where he uh, cuts out the guy's eye to get the retina scan. We gross as it is with the the you know eyeball on the end of a, a exacto knife. Um, apparently, they shot the scene where he digs it out, and like they didn't put that in. So yeah. I guess it's not fast action so much. That's not. You mean more like you know quick series of blows to the chest, like kick, kick, punch. Yeah. In a way, that's kind of disappointing because the, the the I think the film could have benefited from like that that R-rated contrast to the the very uh, naive uh, kind society. Here's yeah. uh, here's a fun little bit of trivia that might intrigue you. Sylvester Stallone just recently said that they're looking at making a sequel to Demolition Man. Oh boy. <laughs> like, like I'm not even joking. We had decided to do this episode without really realizing that there had been news about it, but apparently, uh, like, early last year, Sylvester Stallone said that they were seriously looking at making a sequel to it. So, I mean, it might be a harder-hitting movie. <laughs> Who's to say? Uh, <laughs> what are the odds that uh, Sandy Bullock comes back for this one? I would say probably pretty good. Yeah, you think so? I would... I would say yeah. I mean, number one, Sandra Bullock needs to needs to eat, and uh, number two, like, there's nothing to be ashamed of from her part in this movie. Yeah, and apparently this was like one of her earlier earlier works. So yeah, I mean, but also I don't know Hollywood. Like, <laughs> is Wesley Snipes still in jail for tax evasion? Like, I don't remember. I don't know. I didn't. I haven't really kept up with the with the dailies. Well, I mean, of of all the people coming back for the sequel, I'm pretty sure the guy whose head exploded is not going to be one. Of them. Oh, right. Good point. Good, good point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, they froze him once. They, I don't know. Well, uh, uh, yeah, uh, since we've uh, cut right to the climactic ending, why don't we hear from uh, the trailer? At the end of a century, ravaged by violence, a society of perfect order will arise. Criminals will be frozen and reprogrammed in cryogenic prisons. The prisoners are ice cubes. Their criminal instincts are being reprogrammed as they sleep. Aggression and deviant behavior will be totally eliminated. He's a criminal the likes of which you have never seen. 
In a bad time, he was the worst. I'm gonna love running this place. We're police officers. We're not trained for this kind of violence. How was the fiendish Simon Phoenix apprehended back in the 20th? In the end, it took just one man. John Spartan. You mean the demolition man? The conditions of your parole are full reinstatement into the SAPD and immediate assignment to the apprehension of Simon Phoenix. Two mortal enemies. Just dropped in to say hi! From another time. Pass is over, John! Time for something new and improved! Oh, hell. Rogue cop who gets results. John Spartan and happy-go-lucky drug lord Simon Phoenix are two bitter beefy rivals locked in a destructive confrontation which leaves a busload of hostages dead. Framed by Phoenix, John Spartan is sentenced to join his nemesis, serving 40 years frozen in a cryogenic rehab facility without parole. Decades later, society has become a crime-free paradise, if your idea of paradise is 1984 as written by Mr. Rogers. But all is not well in this peaceful technocracy. An underground group of free thinkers threatens to upend it all with their ratburgers and swearing. Raymond Cocteau, the society's architect, unfreezes Simon Phoenix to assassinate the underground's leader and purge his city of its last bastion of free thought. However, Cocteau's own police department, unsure how to deal with a violent criminal like Phoenix, turns to the one man who defeated him before, John Spartan. Unfrozen in a new time, Spartan must stop his greatest rival, take down a totalitarian regime, and have sex with probably his daughter in order to save the day. That seems like a good place to start, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> honestly my big note. I gotta get that out of the way. That's my big my big note. Um, the fact that yeah, they they really like I I understand that they changed the story where she's not his daughter, and that's fine. But they left in the foreshadowing. Oh yeah, they left in like so, they forgot so to they forgot to pick up like very simple like storytelling or like language of cinema cues that would completely understandably encourage the audience to make that connection. Uh, and then they and even to, so again, I'd never seen this before, so I'm like, oh, obviously she's his daughter. Yeah. Uh, in the first time uh, where he's like, what happened to my wife? And then he's like, uh, they she died. What happened to my daughter? Someone asks a question off frame and they all turn and look away and it never gets answered. Obviously, question to be answered. is, uh, And then again, when they're in the car, uh, he, he makes a comment about the daughter and then the camera pans over and it just lingers on Sandra Bullock for a second and then goes to the next scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so when, when we got to the part where they are wearing the sex helmets and like not not fucking each other, but also kind of having sex because it's like weird sex. <laughs> I was like, oh, are they going to do this weird workaround uh, where it's like, oh, they're going to justify that they didn't. It's not actually incest because they're wearing helmets and, you know, I'm like, that's weird. Maybe she won't be. And then they never even explain it. They never, it's, oh, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you, you are absolutely correct. <laughs> I got, they, I went all Dennis Leary there and, and prattled off a bunch of nonsense no, it's, about how mad I am, but that's. <laughs> it's foreshadowed and, uh, they left that foreshadowing in before they made the change because the, uh, I don't recall if it was. Sylvester Stallone who wanted a romantic subplot or if it was the producers who wanted a romantic subplot but they they made the change and I mean there's only one major lady character in the movie so of course it's got to be Sandra Bullock's character that he has as a romantic interest <laughs> they, but they, they couldn't but add they a didn't second female character no of course not in <laughs> fact as I understand it they added in like a background character who they're like oh yeah that was his daughter the whole time but it's like 
who? <laughs> <laughs> there was no other woman in this movie. Like this fails the Bechdel test in a major way. Yeah, I, I mean that that makes that that um, helmet sex scene problematic. Uh, but it's problematic in a number of ways. Um, not the not the least of which is like he if in turn for John Spartan, like he literally just found out his wife is oh, dead. Yeah. Like if you're following the chronology of the movie, he found out his wife is dead a day ago, and now he's yeah. down to clown with Sandra Bullock. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely want to get back to the sex helmet thing, but uh, to to that end, it, there's only like what forty years between. Uh, when he gets frozen and when he gets let out, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like his very his wife very well could have been alive. Like it's not like a, a, a Captain America thing or like a, a real time travel thing where you just assume they're dead. Um, I realize she wasn't dead in Captain America. Don't don't at me. Um, <laughs> uh, but just like the time travel problem, we're like, oh yeah, I've been I'm a thousand years in the future. Everyone I know is dead. Uh, she could have been. Al- yeah, that is weird. I hadn't thought of that. The, the so the fact that this takes place like f- like you said in the intro, five minutes in the future. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that bugged me about that that sex scene is is that um like there there's no there's no romantic lead up to it and and maybe I don't know if this is maybe this is just done personally but like it it made it made it sound like in this society like um like not just casual acquaintances but just like it, you just you just have you just have sex with whoever wants to put the helmet on with you. That's kind of what it felt like. And like, maybe that was purposeful just to like show how weird and bizarre the, the society was. I don't know. It just, it just felt strange to me. So uh, as someone who is uh, a single uh, living alone in a pandemic, uh, I I want more than, more than uh, any kind of future movie promise, like uh, Jetsons flying cars or hover, you know, Back to the Future hoverboards, any of that shit. I, I want sex helmet, please. <laughs> please, please, can we make sex helmets happen? Because yeah, like, would how, be what's really the helpful. range on those? Could you be living like across the city from your romantic friend and still be able to sex helmet with one another? Do I, you? Have I feel to be in like in Demolition Man, it was definitely a proximity thing because they hadn't thought of Wi-Fi yet. Um, but I'd assume the you know the ones that like you know Elon Musk makes us uh, will. <laughs> First of all, fail and be made by uh, uh, a completely dangerous uh, business practices, but also uh, will will have range. I hope it needs to. <laughs> Could you I, accidentally I like intercept it, I, somebody else's sex helmet while you're trying to sex helmet with someone? I, well, oh, like, like zoom bombing. Could you accidentally sex helmet with the wrong person? Is what I'm saying. And and if you did, would it even make a difference? <laughs> would you Would you know? <laughs> Well, I mean, it's implied that he could see flashes of her while he was mm-hmm. in the in the zone in the in the bone zone. Yeah, I suppose. The, but those flashes, to me, those flashes didn't seem like they were of Sandy Bullock. Like they, I thought it, it seemed like he was kind of watching like a, a virtual porno mag. Wow. Well, that was her. That was he wasn't okay. Yeah, fair enough. And it was him too. They briefly flashed of of him, like her perspective of him, and it's just like Stallone under weird light. Like I mean, his weird lip as curl. Greg, <laughs> as Greg pointed out earlier in the movie, you can totally see Stallone's whole business down below at one point. So I don't I don't know why they needed to be coy about it at this juncture. Yeah, yeah. I realized in bringing this up, I might have sound like I'm a prude that like I'm if if casual sex is your thing and, and that's I'm 100 percent for it. Like 
do your thing. That's totally cool. It's just like there was no romantic subtext at all to this scene, and it's just like, yeah, just like that's that's the part that sort of made me feel weird about it. Not casual sex. Casual sex yeah. is totally fine. Yeah, if you want to hit me up, anyone, any of our listeners, hit me up on Sex Helmet. Um, I thought you're. I'm on the, se- I'm on the Sex Helmet app. <laughs> I thought you were saying that to me. You're like, hey, Greg, if you want to hit me up. <laughs> my, my sex helmet username is at. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just, here's the address to, to Liam's OnlyFans. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, yeah, this movie has a lot of really weird choices in the kind of watered-down future that they're trying to portray that when you really think about it for like a little, like we're making fun of the sex helmet, but the truth is like, this is all stuff that we came up with in five minutes of thinking about it. And that's true of so much of the stuff in this society where it's like, does this really make sense? Was this really thought through? Those, those, yes. Yeah. Like the ticket thing is like a funny gag, but also wildly impractical. Um, but also some of it, actually, I was, like, quite sh- excited by the I, the fact that they have uh, street corner therapy. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah. Lo- like, obviously they're presented as, like, totalitarian, like, you know, uh, um, you yeah, know thought, watching everyone, controlling everyone. Thought policing machines. Thought police. But there's a number of very healthy choices they make. One, the no germs, no touching. Uh, <laughs> therapy on every corner. Um, by the sounds of police, it, uh, it sounds like food try security to so long as you play along. <laughs> Police who try to de-escalate a situation because they don't want to resort to violence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I realized a- that this was meant to be like the 90s idea of a ridiculous PC future, but you're right. There's a lot of there's a lot of uh, societal elements that they brought in that in in hindsight it's like actually would that be such a bad thing <laughs> i know obviously not not completely and it being ultimately uh a fascist uh totalitarian state that's been dressed up in a lot of like leftist rhetoric but is mm-hmm. not actually very like uh v- very left leaning when you when you scratch it and look beneath the surface and take a real hard look at the leader of it but nonetheless, some of the stuff that I, I was put that's, in place, that's maybe been, not so bad. Yeah, I think the the take don't take too hard a look at it is come up a lot in a lot of aspects of this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. I thought I, I might cut this, but like the uh, of of the many called shots in this movie, we were just we were talking earlier about the the iPads and and the cars and things like that. Um, the guy who had the the computer console who was who was getting advice from the computer to on how to to pacify Simon Phoenix and like he was he was never uh he was never Im- implementing his own ideas he was always asking for the uh the computer uh for a response and it reminded me i i recently watched um the corporation 2 in 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 that film, uh, they take us to Africa, where a private company is um, uh, has installed a bunch of schools where teachers basically teach like that. They have a pad in their hand, and the pad tells them exactly what to do, right down to telling them how where to step and when. 
So it was like a sort of a weird, a weird thing to see in uh, in this movie after having watched that documentary. Yeah, the uh, some of the the, the, the the politics or if not politics, like ideologies of this this movie are kind of all over the place. Um. Yeah, I guess like the the central the central message is killing is good and punching is good and swearing is good. <laughs> like, I it, and sex is good and hamburgers are good. Obviously. Yeah, it's kind of if you. I guess if you think about it for a couple for or for a few minutes, it's sort of. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a basically a glorification or 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 a justification for um, all the excesses in our society. Yeah, it, like, like Dennis Leary's character, I think part part of the reason uh, it's such a muddled message is because he doesn't get a lot of time to to actually talk about revolutionary politics and like what it is they want. In fact, this is a little ahead of myself. It's my big note. His rant that he does about how he just wants it's all just about how he wants to eat burgers and it's more Dennis Leary stand up than any opportunity like meaningful opportunity for the movie to um give his character's perspective. Like that should be the rallying cry and he just talks about gravy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because um, it's they just want Dennis Leary to do Dennis Leary bits, and so uh, yeah, I think they we should have got a lot more from him and his people, and I think it would have cleared a lot of the rest of it up. Yeah, if it we feels, just got yeah, it feels a lot like uh, a lot of stuff with Dennis Leary ended up on the cutting room floor. Like at one point, he and his uh, and his scraps show up at the police department. They're like, "We're going to help you take down Phoenix and Cocteau and all these guys," and then they're never seen again. And <laughs> Uh, until the end when when it's like oh well now you can remake society it's like there should have been there should have been something with that there should have been a fight apparently there was there was a whole fight with jesse ventura but you remember how in the credits it said jesse ventura's in it and then you never see jesse ventura well no you see him like three times but like simon phoenix axes cocktail yeah simon phoenix's goons and friendlies people never actually have a confrontation and so because because it ended up on the cutting room floor and so it doesn't happen. It's not in the movie. And it's just another missed opportunity because this guy should be a big deal if Cocteau wants to kill him so badly that he defrosts a, uh, like a sociopathic murderer and then lets him run rampant through his society. Which, by the way, Cocteau's plan is absolutely bonkers, right? Like, it makes no sense. Yeah. Kind sure. of it's as good as any other action movie, like good or bad, or like it. it you know, he, he there's literally no one around him who can even fathom the concept of killing, so he's got to go get himself an old fashioned killer. Yeah, but what did he think he was going to do with Simon Phoenix when he was done? Well, isn't that the hubris of all villains? Like, yeah, fair point. As I I said to Anita at one point while we were watching, uh, for such a visionary genius, Cocteau sure is an idiot. <laughs> yeah, that's that's valid. That's fair. <laughs> but I suppose that's the you're right. That's the hubris of a Bond villain, right? Most Bond villains are geniuses, but they're also idiots. Yeah, like all right, Lex Luthor, you own all the all the uh, uh, New Mexico desert that's now <laughs> that's now ocean. You're going to sell it. People aren't going to be like, hey, where'd California go? And why are you suddenly like, you don't think they're going to come get you? <laughs> a visionary genius. Total idiot. Yeah. The the one thing that I would really like to know about Cocteau is, is that how much did he control really? Like in terms of like society, like was it just 
what's it called? San Angeles, right? Uh, like, is it just that city that he built this society out of? Or, yeah, or does his reach grow further? It's super unclear if this is the fate of, like, the Metroplex because of after the earthquake, he rebuilt it and kind of turned it into a sovereign state. If it's the if it's all of America and he has effectively taken over the U.S., or if it's the world, if he has, like, created world peace at a terrible cost. It is left very vague. It's left yeah. very vague. I'm going to assume I, it was local because they talk about, like, there's been no murders in Los uh, or San, San Angeles. Uh, in and if it's like if there was if his plan was working worldwide, they'd be like, oh, there's been no murders in America, murder death kills in America uh, for yeah. the last fifteen years. That's a fair so, point. I yeah, there definitely be seems to be an effort to keep the the scale smaller. But then it, that like to, for me anyway, that kind of butts up against like this idea that like society has changed that much just because because like the idea that like this this city would be just like this pocket and no no outside cultural influence is coming in i mean as a canadian i just i mean i wish that would could happen but it just doesn't <laughs> well he's easy slugger that i think you mean <laughs> <laughs> i i mean i mean as far as you know the amount of you know american stuff that yeah I, I know what you mean. i just like went out of context that could have been like <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, it's, I, yeah. I'm not well, gonna, outside I, influence coming across our borders. I tell you what, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm xenophobic, pho- phobic in a very, very specific way, Liam. That's yeah, what <laughs> no, but it's a fair point. If uh, if their society is just that, like the Metroplex, it is weird that yeah. there's no outside influences coming in. It's weird that like. Uh, America wouldn't be like seriously concerned about what's going on in his little brainwashed society. It's weird that no other country would try to take advantage of uh, an America that's been completely neutered. Um, it's it's it leaves open a bunch of questions if he hasn't somehow pacified the world, right? But I don't think I, it's. In, it, I think that's a fun to think about thing, unless like any kind of failing of the movie. I think yeah, it's enough, cert- like I, th- I definitely think it's outside of the scope of the movie. Yeah. So obviously like the movie has some some weird thematic and setting problems, but is there stuff you guys really liked in this film? Uh aside from Sly's ball sack? <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Which I mean, he got his start in porn. You could go see his ball sack anytime. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like a lot of what we were doing just now wasn't even like criticism, more just like unpacking. <laughs> like, yeah, there's a lot yeah. to unpack here. So, because I was thinking about, it, I'm like, what do you mean? What do I like? I've everything I've been talking about has been stuff I like. <laughs> I, I'm not joking. I want. I like the sex helmets, and I want sex helmets. I wasn't making fun of them. Um, uh, so yeah, I guess it's like I I I like a lot of the fact that Sandra Bullock is uh, still obsessed with <clears throat> the 20th century, and then they keep calling it the 20th. Um, I like Sandra Bullock, period, in this movie. Yeah. Like, there are two actors for whom I have no notes in this film, and those are Sandra Bullock and Wesley Snipes. They're both having a great amount of fun, they're both perfectly cast, and their characters are more or less great. Uh, at least from, from the perspective of, of how they're portraying them. No mm-hmm. notes for either of them. Yeah. I like the museum. The Museum of Violence was cool. Although yeah. Craig and I were were right. astonished that there were working guns and bullets in that museum. <laughs> like we were legitimately like 
if you go to a museum today and you go look at a weapons display, those weapons don't work. They have been they have been rendered inoperable for show, and you're sure as hell not going to find bullets next to them. Tell that to Killmonger. <laughs> Think of another movie where someone went and stole a perfectly functional weapon out of a out of a museum. Uh, work for Killmonger, it'll work here. I don't know why I think that's the dunk I think it is, but I really feel like I've intellectually went up to you and I'm folding my arms smugly. What I'm saying is maybe the movies, both movies, have a slightly unrealistic portrayal of how a museum would display a weapon. Fair. Yeah. <laughs> While we're giving credit to actors, I thought the guy who played Associate Bob was really good. He's one of those what uh, one of those those guy actors too. He's been in a lot as that character, basically. Uh, yeah, Beetlejuice. <laughs> like, talk about, it took me a minute, but I was like, oh, it's Beetlejuice. Yeah, like talk about typecasting. He is yeah. definitely a type, and they have cast him in that type a lot. Any any other big likes? Big. Uh... Uh, I think I dug the 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 cryo action scene at the end. The climax uh, mm-hmm. set piece was pretty good. I. I um, the freezing of uh, Wesley Snipes and the subsequent destruction of Wesley Snipes looked cool. Yeah, and it gross. Great. <laughs> yep, I, I did uh, catch the uh, the foreshadowing in the first scene this time, where Wesley Snipes says, uh, "If I if my head wasn't attached, I'd lose it." Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, he's calling the end right there." There you go. Well, let's say we uh, we get into our fixes after we hear from some of our fabulous sponsors. Agreed. BGC Biggs, that's Boys and Girls Clubs, Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Edmonton and area, is looking for volunteers like you. Families that have needed help need it now more than ever. And with BGC Biggs, volunteers have the power to change the courses of young people's lives across our community during the pandemic and beyond. Together, we can ignite the hope that we all need right now. Dedicating your time to the life of a child or youth makes an impact that goes far beyond Zoom calls, video game battles, or tutoring sessions. Explore how you can get involved and watch our community change one life at a time. There is currently a need for virtual mentors, tutors, and in-person volunteers to be big brothers or big sisters. Join BGC Bigs for a virtual coffee in one of their online open houses to learn more about volunteering and get more information right now at bgcbigs.ca or Google BGC Bigs. It's easier than you think. With Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. Hey guys, that's us. This episode, Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to Book Women, a book podcast about editing, publishing, and writing Indigenous stories. Three Metis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, film, and everything in between. You can listen and find out at bookwomenpodcast.ca. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're talking Demolition Man, and I think we got some fixes. Yeah, one of the first things that certainly Greg and I noticed while we were doing our little watch party, which uh, we tweet about before generally they happen, so you can join us, um, was that the movie feels like it has too, (coughs) too radical a societal shift too soon in the future. Like, people don't remember how common turns of phrase go. People don't remember much about what happened just 30 years prior. And it doesn't feel very realistic. And 
I think that the fix to that is to just move it further in the future. Like you can, you, there's no reason this couldn't have been 130 years in the future or 200 years in the future. And I feel like the change in society at that point would have felt more, uh, more believable because so much time will have passed by that point. And I mean, even if you still want to keep in the family stuff, there's no reason why Sandra Bullock couldn't have been his great, great granddaughter or something like it, it still could have worked. I think that we just needed to move it further ahead and make it like you could even make it a little more sci-fi if you want to in that case. But I, I think that would have been a fix to explain how radically society has changed in such a seemingly short amount of time. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. The, uh, the other thing that, that feels um, that it requires tweaking for me is um, um the relationship between um, Cocteau and and Edgar Edgar Friendly, which I I kind of think we touched on a little bit, and and feeling like there obviously there was a big missing fight somewhere that we didn't get to see. Um, that maybe that's on the cutting room floor somewhere. We don't know, uh, but certainly it feels like at some point Edgar Friendly and and Cocteau should have been able to have some sort of face off. Yeah, yeah. The only real trouble he causes is the graffiti. Yeah, he doesn't really seem like he's that much of a bother. Like, oh, yeah, and I guess they, he they show food. up and they like rob they, should... they they rob Taco Bell. Yeah, but like you know, it's it's not. Uh, it, it just yeah, it doesn't feel like it. It has this it, the stakes necessary, and like he he he's supposed to be um, disrupting society, um, but there's no evidence that he's um, managing to do that. That's that's In my big note. Way. Yeah, my big note is the the wasted opportunity where he gets to explain his point of view to Sylvester Stallone, uh, and <clears throat> he spends the whole thing just talking about how badly he wants to eat steak and gravy and and red meat, um, and it just it, it it was such a wasted opportunity. I think like even if he had. Um a kind of like instead of you know some weird robot graffiti thing which was it didn't that's a very bad part of the film like it doesn't make sense what's happening um it's very confusing and it's it's too early in 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 the future for i think for audiences to really grasp what's going on there the 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 graffiti and then suddenly there's a there's a mechanism that deletes the graffiti uh there's it's not a good it's not a a good scene at all and like like if it was something simpler like cock or uh, edgar friendly has a manifesto that's being uh silently uh passed around yeah. Um, maybe maybe uh, Sandra Bullock's character um, finds her way to having a copy of it or, or whatever. Um, and maybe she's kind of secretly reading it and kind of secretly agreeing with it, which would kind of um, be an interesting quirk to her character. But if, if there was if there was some, uh, you know, uh, element that would let us know that Edgar Friendly is having an effect on this supposedly, you know, perfect society. And, that, and more uh, than that is a danger to Cocteau. Exactly. Yeah. Friendly needs to be an anarchist. 
Yeah. More more than he is now. He needs to be an actual anarchist. He needs to, like, he at some point in the movie says, like, we, like, I ain't no leader here. I'm just a guy who sometimes gets stuff done and sometimes people follow me. And I think that that needs to be the crux of his belief. He needs to be like a straight up anarchist. He sees Cocteau as the head of this regimented hierarchy. He sees this society as a bunch of placid uh, slaves who don't realize that they're prisoners inside Cocteau's machine. And he wants people to be free of that. And Mm -hmm. he wants to tear down this society. And I mean, that makes him dangerous, yes, but it also makes him like have an ethos that makes sense and, and does make him a danger to Cocteau because Cocteau is an authoritarian and Friendly is saying, no, we shouldn't have authoritarians. We shouldn't have leaders. Yeah. We, should ju- we, should, we should all be free. And that, like, that would make Cocteau crazy enough to like, find a psychopath from the... From the <laughs> the, the yeah, urban it would give wars a, a of much the more of a like fight fire with fire, you know, uh, mentality. Yeah, find another, find another anarchist <clears throat> to do the job, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I, it would also serve to um, place more tension between Stallone's character and his fellow uh, police officers in the sense because he's going to end up agreeing with this anarchist. And if like if if Dennis Leary's position feels more extreme to the audience and they under then then there's a lot more a lot more fun tension that we can have uh, you know as these police officers are starting to come around to um stallone and dennis leary's way of thinking yeah and i mean like there is there is the possibility for friendly not to end up as a villain just because he's an anarchist like he can he can realize if if he's a more realized character he can have a bit of an arc in the background where he realizes maybe his very extreme uh ideology can't function uh maybe stallone gives him an education maybe sandra bullock gives him uh an education and and by the end of the movie he's he's willing to compromise a bit and that makes him potentially the leader that this society needs right yeah yeah, I, I, I just to just to clarify, like when I say when I say his position is extreme, I sort of mean it, it's extreme as relative to Cocteau, oh, yeah. not 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 that his opinion that like the idea of no top down leadership is an extreme point of view. Like, yeah, I was gonna uh, say, I just I was gonna say sort of Scott. It sort of seemed like you were like I don't think he's ever framed as a villain in the movie. Is no, he? No, no, but I'm just I'm just worried that if we if we make him like a hard a hardcore staunch anarchist, he might end up being framed as a villain where the cops are the heroes. Mm. And I, so I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe just my mood lately. But I'm like at no point did that cross my mind. I'm like, <laughs> you put a kick ass anarchist. In fact, I was about to make some pithy comment about how I hate my note is more Dennis Leary. That should very rarely be the note. Um, but you know what? Anyone as a kick ass anarchist guy is I'm down for the you know cast him in that yeah. role. I'll watch it yeah also we need yeah, to throw it, back in the fight between simon phoenix's people and uh and friendly's people yeah just because needs to be in there. simon phoenix is is not just the antithesis of cocteau he's also not what friendly wants right like he's if anything he's the extreme example of friendly's beliefs right like yeah. total anarchy like total bedlam no rules everyone for themselves sociopathic anarchy and that's maybe that's what makes friendly realize oh like there actually does need to be a little bit like there needs to be a line <laughs> and because that guy is crossing it. And so that's that's ultimately what makes friendly like team up with the police 
to take out Simon Phoenix, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you necessarily would need to to address that so much because you know, in a way like there's some dramatic irony in that uh Cocteau is turned to uh an, an anarchist to fight an anarchist. I think that would actually be really interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, like he's it, uh, He's threatening to rip apart his own society to kill the guy he thinks is going to rip apart his own society. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, again, I don't think I would have ever described Wesley Snape's character as an anarchist, like more of a sociopath. Like anarchist, no, no. Suggest- but yeah, I see. I guess you're <laughs> like, saying, yeah. maybe splitting hairs. It was just funny to hear them both described as anarchists because I'm like, mm, no. Yeah, there's a. I think there's there's kind of um, kind of a. It's kind of a language thing because like it, like an- anarchist. Anarchy gets kind of uh, muddled in with chaos, right? And like, and like that's when you're talking about anarchists, those aren't the same things or whatever. So, like, yeah, it's. It, I think it's. I think it's an easy thing to get a little bit muddled. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, and you're absolutely right. Simon Phoenix represents like chaos, whereas yeah. whereas uh, friendly maybe rep- should at the very least be more clearly representing kind of uh, kind of a more. Uh, a more ideological anarchy. Well, I was trying to find the words for it earlier and I realized it was staring me in the face. They all fit the, the, the four of them fit neatly, uh, onto, um, the, the, the alignment chart. Like you've got lawful, good, lawful, evil, lawful, or chaotic, evil, chaotic, good. Sandra Bullock's in the middle, uh, being pulled in every direction. But yeah, they're like the cocktail, the police, um, uh, Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes each like foil each other perfectly, and I think that the the big problem with this movie is they cut out a quarter of that um, quadrant, like, and it d- just doesn't now it tips over, like it doesn't, yeah, yeah. I gotta be honest, like, kind of muddled my geometry way... me- uh, metaphor there, but you got what I was saying. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't mention this in the, in the first half when we were talking about things I like, but in in a way, I kind of like the way that this movie ends where. Um, it's kind of ambiguous about what happens next, right? Like, yeah. like we got we got rid of this tyrant, and like now what? And this <laughs> this week in particular, uh, I'm definitely feeling that vibe. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's the fodder for the sequel that they were talking about. Like, what happens next in this society? Yeah, they can bring Den- Dennis Leary back, and uh, you know he's. <laughs> He's turned into his own version of Cocteau. Or maybe John Spartan is faced with the fact that he accidentally destroyed what was, in retrospect, a pretty decent society. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be interesting. That would also be some serious retconning, too. God, I miss the I'm, guys. I miss the three seashells. We should we should go back to that. <laughs> you know, well, I finally got a handle a on it, and, and it was good. What a perfect segue, uh, Scott. Thank you very much. Because I was about to try to throw to listener comments. Uh, and thank you all to who uh, everyone who contributed. And right out of the gate, Tony Gleb says, "Question: How do you think the seashells work?" I mean, didn't the creator come out with? kind of like a pseudo explanation at one point if he did i oh, don't really? want to know i i my just, favorite he, part of that is that they left it unexplained well, so the 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 actual the actual like uh doylist answer to that no is don't answer it yet i want to what's what is our suspicion then greg do you know I, I i just figured that you just rubbed your ass on each one and then eventually your ass got clean <laughs> yeah, I figured it was probably like because you know there's some some toilets have like a you you press like a water saving thing where you press the little diamond for uh, pee and then like the little crescent moon for poo if you need a bigger flush for your poo. I feel like it might have been it's like one of those situations, 
uh, or it's like a bidet foam. Like I, I bet they make foam, and I bet there's. Well, I like mean, there's three foam in types. the car. There might there's foam in the car. There might be foam in the toilet. I bet it's a lot of foam. Te- foam tech really takes off in you know 2029. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the, I bet it's the a foam, doilist, foam-based thing. The doylest answer to this yeah. is that the creator tried to come up with something nonsensical that 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 would leave the audience wondering what exactly was was the like how could yeah. that possibly work? But that the characters in universe were like, oh, look at you, primitive idiot, not yeah, knowing how the, the three seashells yeah. work. Like that's the joke. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that people have then spent the time trying to figure out exactly how it works <laughs> makes the joke funnier. Like yeah. that's <laughs> no, that was my fa- the fact that they left it unanswered was was brilliant. And obviously, Tony asks, I'll riff for days, but. Uh, definitely just the fact that it's left open-ended is a, a brilliant thing. And the fact that that's survived, I, like, you hear about all the rewrites this movie went through, uh, and, like, like background drama nonsense, the fact that every step of the way, everyone was like, yeah, no, the seashells thing, we don't have to explain no, it, that's the bit. Yep. No notes, seashells, we keep the seashells. Yeah, and that somewhere <laughs> along the way, somebody tried to ruin it, was like, so what do the seashells do? We gotta, we gotta, know. at the end of the movie, we gotta find out what the seashells do. And it's like, no, man, fucking leave it. Like... <laughs> This is why you'll never produce, Terry. You're an idiot. Go sit down. <laughs> I don't know who Terry is, but that's I guess that's why. Um, Matthew Jameson says, Taco Bell, seashells, swearing tickets. I'm a little disappointed all of these things are not in the future yet. Well, you're disappointed you're not getting a ticket for swearing? I- I'd be broke. I'd be absolutely broke. I mean, I I think we can all agree that some pleasing seashell foam on our butt would be good, though. Right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. I uh, think I could do with less Taco Bell, though. Oh, I'm sad. There's so few Taco Bells in, in Edmonton. They're they're going out, of, going out of style. There's like one on the north side that I know of, and then there's one near my work, and those are the only two I know of. I, yeah, I, I've never eaten at a Taco Bell, I don't think. Well, maybe once. I, I remember it being dry. Yes, I did, and it was dry and gross. Yeah, never again. Are you <laughs> more of a sure more of a Taco, Taco time. time fan? More of a Taco Time fan. Oh, see, I went to Taco Tuesdays one time, and it was a nightmare. Like I was like, I, I've ne- I never throw away food. Like I have eaten some real regrettable garbage. That was one of the few times I ordered something, went, "This is trash," and threw it away. Like <laughs> I so like when I was a kid growing up in Saint Albert, the the like the Mexican restaurant in St. Albert when I was a kid was taco time. So taco time for me is total comfort food. I guess I did. You know what? There's a taco time in Spruce Grove where I grew up and it's great. I think it was just the one I caught him on an off day. I think I caught the one. Might've been an off day. And you know what? I've, I've had that happen where I'll go to a restaurant where I've been to a dozen times and enjoyed their food. And like that one time, something that I've ordered before, it's just not adding up because it was an off day. Still though, I don't want every restaurant to be Taco Bell. That's nonsense. (laughs) I don't that the the fancy food looked good. That was that was in the uh, presentation. Also, how does Taco Bell even function without uh, in a meatless society? Well, you can have a vegetarian taco. Yeah, I, yeah, I actually a- I just ate Beyond sausages for dinner, so I can I can see that getting squeezed out of the tube the way they do the beef. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> well played. <laughs> Low key endorsement for uh, Beyond sausage. <laughs> Uh, Cinematological says the opening scene is a goofy mess and the romantic subplot takes on a new vibe when you know that Sandra Bullock was originally supposed to be his daughter. I think we all just kind of continued to believe that she was his daughter and that the sex scene is real gross because of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's my, my headcanon is they walked off screen after kissing and then 
he's like, wait, before we go do like actual real old school boning, let's uh, quickly just look. <laughs> let's look up my daughter. Just find out what her name is. Oh, good thing we didn't real bone. <laughs> That's the worst still out. Is it? A decent Sylvester Stallone too, by the way. I didn't. You had that Stallone. You had that Stallone in your back pocket this whole time. Was that good? I do at no I point. No, I'd love to take credit. I was like, "This is bad. I shouldn't be doing this." Actually, <laughs> you just yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's. I'm gonna quit while I'm ahead. To be honest. <laughs> It's it's not as good as your New York City dump truck driver, but it's close. <laughs> Sweet, good times. Uh, Chris, uh, Chris comments. Uh, I would mostly leave it alone, but last time I watched it, I thought that the crusty old police chief doesn't really work. He's both naive, but also an old timer who should know that Snipes is dangerous. That's I think what you guys were saying. What we we're all saying. It's too too close to now. Not a big enough time. Yeah a gap he'd be he'd have been around uh chris continues uh so i would maybe put rob schneider in that role as an uh officious knob also the worldwide release had to change the every restaurant is taco bell to every restaurant is pizza hut uh and for some reason that is a much worse joke um yeah i like the, i like the idea for rob schneider and yeah i don't know why it's less funny see uh, i like I like the police chief character quite a lot in this movie. So I like my knee jerk reaction is to disagree. And I think that again, moving it further into the future solves this problem. Exactly. Yeah. I think there's something that's just funnier phonetically about Taco Bell rather than pizza hut. I think it's the K it's the, the C sound. Yeah. 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 It's that hard K sound. Uh, more than that. that, And the read of it too, when he says, you know, you can join me at Taco Bell. And I like, yeah, I think it just, it just works better. Also, I think that there's kind of the implication that Taco Bell is kind of a worse restaurant than pizza hut. (laughs) So the idea that every restaurant is now a Taco Bell is inherently funnier because it's like, of course it would be Taco Bell. They're the worst. Though, having eaten at both recently, I'll take Taco Bell every day. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would, full disclosure, I would eat at neither of those restaurants, yeah. generally. <laughs> full disclosure, I've eaten at both recently and regretted I'll it, take- but we'll go back. We'll I'll, go back. I'll, I'll, hit the, I'll, hit the, I'll hit the Arby's drive-thru before I hit either of them. So. Oh, Arby's, I don't understand the hate for Arby's. I don't eat meat much anymore, um, but, like, I, Arby's is great. Uh, I think, yeah, Arby's is... Uh, one step above Harvey's, and Harvey's to me is the grossest fast food chain. Oh, it's an all can all Canadian classic. It's a there you go. Sorry, Harvey's. We we all have strong opinions about our fast food, and this yeah. is going to be a side notes at some point. A- after I proclaimed my my xenophobic fear of Americans, <laughs> and now yeah. I'm like shitting on a Canadian company. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris Campbell, uh, our next commenter, uh, uh, comments. Would you believe it? <laughs> uh, Dennis Leary doing a few beats from his stand-up as a monologue is the second most jarring aspect of the movie. The most jarring is that their concept of dystopia seems marginally better than how the future society actually played out. Yeah, we we were saying right at the top of this podcast, like a lot of the stuff that they're ostensibly making fun of in their ultra PC future, it's like, man, in retrospect, that's not bad, actually. <laughs> Yeah, when you're living through dystopia, almost anything seem, seems fine. I get so the 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 swearing ticket thing is interesting because um, I don't know if you guys have seen. There's that Netflix documentary just came out about 
uh, the history, the history of, swears. of swearing. And I was thinking about it, it's like, Cage. yeah, it's it's absurd to to give someone a ticket for saying you know fuck or shit or whatever. And I don't I don't like the idea of ticketing someone, but there are absolutely words that if I heard people saying them around now, I'd be like, man, keep, empty your pockets, asshole. Like. <laughs> <laughs> You use the new F word, you know, or the like, you know, racial slurs and shit. Like if it, that'd be like, I don't know, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a, a totalitarian uh, cuck who wants to, you know, oppress everyone <laughs> and, you know, social justice my way into uh, rule. But I just feel like, yeah, if you, if you, there's, there are maybe words you should get a little ticket for saying. It's, it's just not fuck. Very, <laughs> it's, it's very telling that our society ascribes words that have to do with sex uh, and with human anatomy uh, as being more obscene than words that are actual racial racial slurs. Yeah, yeah. That is that is incredibly telling. Uh, like because not, maybe not because so a lot either. of the uh, most of the words that we consider to be to be profanities have to do with either sex, bodily functions, or are specifically male or female uh, genitalia. Like, there are words for those. And those are what we consider to be the worst slurs, but we're slowly making the shift towards, oh, you know what, maybe uh, insulting someone based on their race is actually worse than that. Yeah. I did, the, the, the concept of the ticket was fun. Like, the way they just sort of stuck out of the wall, I really liked the, like... <laughs> Yeah, it was a yeah. It, it made for a good sight gag for sure. Yeah, it was, it was and also a nice, Espe- especially as it related to the the three seashells. Yeah, someone was telling me uh, we're getting deep in these listener comments, but they're very inspiring, and I appreciate it. Someone was telling me that the TV cuts of this, like they bleep out the words or they put in other words, and that like completely ruins the joke. Oh, absolutely, and I mean the main reason this movie is rated R is because of the language, yeah. not at all because of the violence. Wild. If if uh, they use the f word like three less times in this movie, it would be PG thirteen, and a man's head gets kicked off at the end. I'm just gonna point that yeah. out. Also, it's like no hint, no hint of irony. Someone at a TV station is editing this for 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 television and bleeping out the words in a future society where the people get that. Like, it's just <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Baffling. That's. You think like like for the next generation, like the the concept of uh, bleeping squares will be a little bit more foreign. So that's not like obviously you don't really see that on Netflix and things like that anymore. Or YouTube, yeah. Like a lot of a lot of the teens are watching YouTubers who are their age or a little bit older who like just like swear up a storm while they're playing video games or whatnot. Yeah. And yeah. and like the concept of them being bleeped is just going to be foreign to them. Like we've even. And I mean, maybe this should be cut. I don't know. But we've we've even had a discussion with our son where it's like, yeah, okay, there are some words you're going to hear mommy and daddy use, and it's okay if you use them in the house, but we don't use them in mixed company because we try to be polite, and they're impolite words. And it's because we're just like he's going to be exposed to them, and maybe we should just be okay with the fact that he's going to use them from time to time, so long yeah. as he he learns that there's a time and a place where you don't use them. And maybe yeah. that's with grandma, like. <laughs> but also, the, there, I, I think there are words where if you heard him say that, or if you heard a YouTuber say that, like that YouTuber would be shut down, and like. Oh yeah, no, yeah, for sure. So, like, yeah. and obviously, we're gonna we're gonna teach him there are some words we definitely don't use, yeah. but with a lot of what we would consider to be moderate profanity, it's just gonna be like, yeah, okay, he's gonna hear us use the f word in the house at some point, like it's gonna happen. Yeah. So. <laughs> Speaking of weird uh, generational divides, my a buddy of mine was watching the, the World Juniors recently on stream, and um, he was watching it with his little daughters, and 
some commercials started playing, and he said his daughters were confused because they didn't know what they were. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's like boy, uh, that's different. My oh, son gets amazing. upset when an ad interrupts his YouTube viewing. <laughs> like he will be angry about it. Yeah. And it's like, dude, I used to have to sit through two and a half minute commercials in the middle of every show I watched, like, <laughs> like multiple times. You have to sit through 15 seconds at the start of your show. Like, it's not a big deal. Somehow that 15 seconds feels more annoying, though. When it's, Kinda, 15, yeah. when it's 15 seconds out of a five minute video, I'm mad. And I'm unskippable, mad. <laughs> too. Like, unskippable 15 seconds. And also, I'm not buying your product ever. And also, uh, th- those those things we had to sit through and watch, uh, according to Demolition Man, become the hits of the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's true, yeah. Tack comments, uh, they're already halfway there, but commit to the subversion that this future is not actually dystopian. Feign a narrative about John bringing old-fashioned bravado and values to an out-of-touch future only to find out that he's the one that needs to change. Or maybe that's actually how it went. It's been a long time since I've seen it on TV. <laughs> Attack, that is a, not how it went. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting take, though. That'd be, I think that would be a really interesting fix to explore. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it takes out friendly and it makes Cocteau into not the villain or a villain. Uh, but it is an interesting uh, approach to the movie to have John Spartan be the one who realizes, oh, you know, this this society I have a knee-jerk hate for is actually pretty good when i really think about it and maybe friendly is not right and maybe phoenix is like a threat because he's disrupting this utopia yeah yeah i want it were this were this made today like you know like the uh the demolition man himself might be you know some sort of like maga chud or something like that that like has to has to learn to not be an asshole yeah, I don't know. It's so complicated. Everything's so complicated. <laughs> Speaking of complicated, Moore asks, uh, how does Taco Bell take over every other restaurant in America? I mean, it should uh, that should be the whole movie. That sounds like an amazing story. It, yeah. does. Vo- it does. Violence. <laughs> Violence. That's how it happens. <laughs> yeah, like, they're, yeah. they're uh, literal yeah, franchise like Moore's asking, Moore's asking to watch a very grim, very grim movie like it's it's like the clone wars but for the um demolition man universe like it's, we go back it's and bad. see the, the, the franchise wars no but seriously much like the clone wars maybe that's something we just don't need to see because <laughs> yeah. it couldn't possibly be as good as what you imagine it to be yeah. <laughs> well I always think it's interesting, like, they say it's the franchise wars, which sort of implies that, like, um, they were taking on all franchises, not just other <laughs> other restaurants. Oh, does, so, like, does, so like I, I think the joke would be even funnier if if all brands were Taco Bell. So you had, like, Taco Bell watches and, and uh, Taco, Bell, Taco Bell skis and stuff yeah. like that. Every store you go to is just Ta- a, different, yeah. a different Taco Bell. I mean, this is Taco yeah. Bell furniture. This is Taco Bell. Uh, this is Taco Bell groceries. Moving on to more comments. Uh, Nathan Martin uh, has to say, "Okay, this movie is just fun. It's a movie that knows what it is. It's almost like Last Action Hero in a way. Well, the Last Action Hero tries to poke fun at action movie tropes. This film, this film embraces the shit out of them." The subplot about how Phoenix has to kill Dennis Leary is really the oddest part of the film, since those two are never seen uh, in a scene together. Hell, Phoenix is actually down in the sewers and is telling everyone that the person they have to kill is uh, Raymond Cocteau. Ha ha ha. He typed, sorry, I'm reading it verbatim from the thing, and I just probably didn't need to say ha 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 ha. Uh, <laughs> 
Uh, it's just on a roll. It's like a teleprompter. This is a real Ron Burgundy moment. Um, there's nothing that's uh, there's nothing that's really ever put in front of our heroes that prevents them from doing anything. And if there is, it's usually solved by hitting more buttons. Example: Spartan and Huxley try to look at Phoenix's rehab protocols. The computer tells them no, and then Huxley just asks again, and it's like, oh, okay, here you go. Well, <laughs> demolition embraces its camp, and it's just fun. Uh, Nathan goes on to also let us know that. Pizza Hut uh, is in the international cut. Yeah, the well, I will say that it's definitely a campy movie. Does it know what it is? Because <laughs> I think we've just kind of discussed about how maybe it doesn't. Like, it doesn't know if Sandra Bullock should be his daughter or not. It doesn't really know what kind of social commentary it's trying to do. The movie's a little half-baked, and it maybe needed to go through like one more script iteration or one less well, i feel like maybe that yeah, well, maybe. might be yeah <laughs> because there was a lot of executive meddling in this film yeah. so maybe that's also the case like but it feels like the social commentary is not quite there it feels like there are plot points that don't quite resolve so i don't know like it i won't dispute that the movie's not fun it oh, definitely it's is but. oh yeah yeah it's not a it's a it's a pretty decent watch uh, and our last comment here from friend of the show, former guest Olaf Rockney, uh, comments: uh, "Demolition Man is the greatest movie in the history of cinema. Every single shot is composed perfectly. Every role is cast perfectly. From Nigel Hawthorne to Rob Schneider, they give career best performances. No notes for this movie, and it, that's no joke, Greg. That's no joke. There's a reason my girlfriend and I, uh, uh, Olaf, uh, girlfriend and I, um, named our cat after Sandra Bullock's character, Huxley." So, yeah, also, I've met that cat. It is the That cat is as charming as Sandra Bullock is in this movie. I mean, on the one hand, he's correct in that the cast is hitting it out of the park in this movie, and everybody's clearly having it, having fun. And I even said earlier on, like, I have no notes for Wesley Snipes or Sandra Bullock because they are perfect in this film, and they should in no way be ashamed of this movie. <laughs> um, I feel like there is some casting that could have been better, personally. At one point, I think i said to you greg i wish sylvester stallone wasn't in this movie and i kind of <laughs> wish i kind of wish that the character of john spartan mm -hmm. was being played by kurt russell yeah that'd be good I, yeah that'd be pretty cool there's <laughs> lots of yeah yeah I, also like, i think they should have given uh jack blackmore to do yeah, he has a <laughs> blink and you'll miss it cameo in this movie as Guy uh, Sylvester Stallone snatches the gun out of the hands of uh, as part of Dennis Leary's crew. He is credited in the film, though. We actually we saw it go by in the credits. We were like, wait, Jack Black. And we rewound the movie until we found his face. And it was very it was a very short moment. <laughs> yeah, that's loud. thank you, everyone who commented. Uh, we always appreciate it. And that's uh, that's gonna be Demolition Man. Uh, welcome to a new new year of uh, I have some notes. This is a good way to kick it off, I think. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we yeah. defrosted ourselves and woke up in the future of 2021, and this is what we decided to start with. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can find all of our episodes on your favorite podcasting app or by heading to IHaveSomeNotes.com. Please subscribe, like, and review, uh, or just plain thank you for listening with us today, everyone. Yeah, if you're looking for some new podcasts, you might head over to albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can find scores of other great shows, including our sibling podcasts, Emily Missed Out, and That's a Thing. Uh, 
two of the many amazing podcasts you can find on the network. Once again, that website, albertapodcastnetwork.com. And if you're looking for new episodes of this podcast, we'll be back in two weeks, and we're going to be taking on The Great Gatsby, Baz Luhrmann's 2013 film. Until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Wash your hands, wear a face mask, Black Lives Matter, and keep watching Scott.